you all love Frank Gore. It it was jarring to me. It really did surprise me. I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming. Woo! When I think of Frank Gore, I think of an average running back. Doesn't catch a whole lot of passes. Wasn't efficient last year. Grinding out yards. Sometimes you start him, sometimes you don't, depending on the matchup. Almost always... He provides a baseline level of production for your fantasy team, just enough so you don't feel like it was a bad start, but very rarely do you start Frank Gore and are pleasantly surprised, or very rarely do you start Frank Gore and at the end of the day on Sunday, you look at the box score and go, Whoa! Frank Gore won me my matchup! I love that guy! God, I love Frank Gore! Man, Frank Gore is amazing! The way people think of Le'Veon Bell... The way people think of Marshawn Lynch. The way people thought of Odell Beckham Jr. at times last year. Jordy Nelson at the beginning of the year. Jordy Nelson won an incredible stretch. Either way, these were players that were winning matchups on a week-to-week basis. I never think of Frank Gore as a player that's winning your matchup. Therefore, I couldn't possibly have understood the affinity that exists in the fantasy community for one Frank Gore. I was surprised by that. So that leads to a buzzard message. First buzzard writes in. We have a couple buzzard messages, of course. The show's based around this notion of buzzards. Oh, by the way, we had a buzzard write in. This is my favorite. We had a buzzard write in criticizing my feeding of the buzzards. So we actually had, for the first time, usually the buzzard's right in. The, the, by the way, the buzzard isn't real. The buzzard is an illusion to explain the behavior that those that, that circ- the, the, the flock of people that circle the show, and you can contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email the show rotounderworld at gmail.com. You all, beha- you, are, you all aren't actual vultures. You all aren't actual buzzards. You're not... Those... None of those animals in the wild can listen to the show. They don't have the brain power or the ears or, or, or nothing. They can't listen to the show. They're birds. You all aren't actually birds, right? You just behave like birds in the context of being an audience member of this show. Yet. So I was explaining. I A couple shows ago, I went through the illusion of me, the, 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 <laughs> it was a hypothetical world that I've created, this fictional scenario where I'm throwing, it was, it wasn't real, it was an analogy, me throwing the bread up in the air, knowing I was about to say something that would get the buzzards agitated and I was about to say something that would create an avalanche of emails in my inbox, tweets in my mentions. I knew that was going to happen and I mentioned it in the show. I'm about to say something provocative. The buzzards aren't going to like it. I know the buzzards that follow this show. I know the things they like and they don't like by now. Just like you know the things I like and don't like by now. That's, that's the beauty of this show. We've created this community. We know, we've gotten to know each other over time. And I knew by throwing food up in the air that you would immediately descend and feast. So the, the food that I chose 
It just it was just an illustration. It was a fictional illustration. In this fictional illustration, the food that I chose to throw up in the air was stale bread. And we had multiple people contact the show with information regarding the diet of the buzzard in which they insisted that a buzzard would never eat bread that I would have to throw carrion in the air dead rotting flesh would be all that they would accept and there would be no interest in bread that was the message there was no there was nothing else there was nothing about nothing about Frank Gore nothing about fantasy football it was critiquing my food choice that I made on the fly. It was unbelievable. It was some of you have really taken this this identification with a bird to a whole nother level. And I love it. Please, more emails like that. However, I went and did some research. And I found out that, well, you may assume, yes, I think the favorite delicacy of the buzzard is dead rotting flesh, is carrion. I, I would agree with that. I think if you interviewed a buzzard, we if we could get a buzzard on the show, but again, we can't interview any buzzards because they can't speak or listen to what we're saying and comprehend it. They're not actual listeners to the show or not actual birds, so we can't interview them either can't ask the question what is your favorite food put the microphone in front of them or you you and them synonymous don't hit me with that the correction police i guess i I imagine the buzzard the flock of buzzards wearing the little police hats and it just reads correction police on the emblem of the hat that's how i imagine you all and again buzzards don't actually wear hats it's just an illusion to prove a point. We're having fun with a fictional scenario. <laughs> Unbelievable. That's that was the thing that you latched on to to criticize me about. The food choice. But I looked it up. And buzzards will absolutely eat bread. They just prefer carrion. Yes, I understand. I understand everybody and who would know better but you? You are the buzzards. The buzzards are you. So yes, if you have a rotting flesh over here, a dead carcass to the left, and a piece of moldy wheat bread to the right, I know it makes sense. I've seen the Discovery Channel. You're going to be predisposed to go ahead to the left and enjoy the rotting flesh. Understood. Understood. Thank you for that. But according to the scientists and the zoologists and the animal experts that I've that I went and studied because I went on a mission to find the answer to this question, was I wrong? Yes or no? The answer came back is when when a buzzard is hungry, they will eat bread. They will eat trash, waste, refuse, human waste and refuse including bread. But thank you for that correction police buzzards circling me. I imagine you circling me also with little little sirens too. Little sirens attached 
to the top of your body. Imagine that. You're flying with a little siren. That would be, yes, the correction police waiting for me for every misstep. Thank you for that. Other than the correction police buzzards, we also have the Frank Gore fanatic buzzards. And this buzzard writes in, Frank Gore lost his explosion due to age, according to you. But Andre Johnson has a fantasy wide receiver one ceiling? Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Superfluous question marks. Thank you. Thank you for that. The buzzard goes on to say, do you even hear the words you speak, sir? Wow. Okay. So yes, I do hear the words I'm speaking. I'm speaking and I hear my words. So yes, I'm my whole brain and hearing system, speaking and hearing and brain, it's all working together. I promise it's all fine working order. Sir, comma, sir. Why are you doing that to me? Why are you hitting me with a sir? You, is that softening it? Or is that a pejorative sir? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Email the show. Let us know. RotoUnderworld at gmail.com. At RotoUnderworld. Is the comma space sir? Do you believe? That's, this is a poll. This is a show poll. Is comma space sir a form of respect? Or is it meant to diminish the person that you were speaking to? Is it a sarcastic sir, generally speaking? Let me know. In that context, do you even hear the words you speak, sir? Is that sarcasm? Is that person belittling me? Or is it a sign of respect? Show poll. Let us know. And so my answer to his question, by the way, the question was, if you forgot what the question was, Frank Gore has lost all of his explosion and is being overdrafted this year, but Andre Johnson hasn't lost his explosion to the extent that he's being overdrafted this year, even though Andre Johnson is almost two years older than Frank Gore. That's what the buzzard's asking, and it's a fair question. Why is one player done? Why is one player toast, and the other player could ascend to wide receiver one status all over again at age 34? That seems unlikely, but that's what I believe. I believe it for the following reason. Last year, Frank Gore on playerprofiler.com had a negative 19.7 production premium. The, the production premium of playerprofiler.com is a situation agnostic efficiency metric. Looks at every down and distance and measures that player against league average. How did he do? Frank Gore was awful. Number 66 in the league. Juke rate on playerprofiler.com. Evaded tackles per touch. Frank Gore, 24.2%. Less than one out of every four carries or touches that Frank Gore had. Most of them are carries because he caught very few passes because he's no longer a good receiver and actually never was a good receiver if we're being 100% accurate here. So he rarely makes people miss. He rarely evades tackles. And evaded tackles on playerprofiler.com includes... Broken tackles and tackles missed due to elusiveness. It's all the same thing. Evaded tackles. We track that on playerprofiler.com, and then we create a metric called juke rate, evaded tackles per touch. 
Frank Gore's 24.2% juke rate was 40th in the league. Awful. So his production is lacking. His efficiency is declining. His elusiveness is falling. This player is toast. Andre Johnson, on the other hand, also, you look at Andre Johnson's production premium, not much better. Not much better. Negative 20.0, essentially equivalent to Frank Gore. 87th in the league. 58.2% catch rate, 60th in the league. You do give players on bad offenses with bad quarterbacks, and Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't what I would call a bad quarterback, but he's a below-average quarterback. So whenever you have a below-average quarterback, when you look at metrics like catch rate, I do give the player some relief knowing that less of the, the targets they receive are going to be accurate. Just like you discount the catch rate if a player is playing with Andrew Luck, for example, or Peyton Manning, because an inordinate number of those targets are going to be highly accurate and catchable. Regardless, no one's saying Andre Johnson had an efficient season last year. He had an inefficient season. But he still had 85 catches and almost 1,000 yards. And when you look at the age curve, the productivity age curve for receivers, it doesn't crash at age 32 like it does with running backs. In fact, Andre Johnson last year had a metric. So when you look at Frank Gore, and you look at playerprofiler.com, the, the, all the efficiency metrics for Frank Gore are a concern, every single one. There's nothing on there. that you, There's no ray of hope on the, flat, the Frank Gore profile on playerprofiler.com. There is a ray of hope with Andre Johnson. That ray of hope is his 61.5% contested catch rate. That was 13th in the league on a large number of targets. 30 of his targets were contested, and he caught 61.5% of them. That is indicative of a player who has something left in the tank, who isn't done yet. Instead of a player fall, his production and his efficiency falling according to his age curve, like Frank Gore's efficiency and production, have been declining in line with his age curve. It's different with Andre Johnson. His production has been declining, his efficiency has been declining, but it was one particular year, 2014, that it took a rather precipitous drop in some metrics, while other metrics were encouraging. Now, I get it. Dante Moncrief is an explosive athlete a more explosive athlete at this point in his career than Andre Johnson is at this point in Andre Johnson's career. Just like Dan Heron and Josh Robinson are more explosive athletes at this point in their respective careers than Frank Gore. However, the running back position is predicated on athleticism more than the wide receiver position. Again, this is why wide receivers are productive out to age 35, sometimes beyond. And that's why running backs are never productive after age 32, ever. The league saps them of their athleticism, and they are no longer efficient runners. 
at age 32. It's just it's it's a rule because it's you may find an outlier, but you have to go back to the 80s to someone like John Riggins. Whereas you regularly see wide receivers productive at age 35. Last year we saw Reggie Wayne produce at a fantasy wide receiver 2 level at age 35. So when you compare, I mean it's pretty obvious, but when you compare running backs and receivers, it's apples and oranges. I think the equivalent year for Andre Johnson, if Andre Johnson were a running back, he would be age 31. Just like Frank Gore had a serviceable year last year in a bad offensive system at age 31, I think Andre Johnson this year will have a will be serviceable at age 34. However, he's not in a bad offensive system. Andre Johnson is in the best offensive system in the game, the highest volume offense with the most passing attempts last year, the Indianapolis Colts. So you put a serviceable player in a high volume role that is a recipe for fantasy success in redraft leagues. Of course, we're talking about redrafts as a 34-year-old receiver. You're not using super valuable draft capital to acquire Andre Johnson in Dynasty. Of course not. And I don't think Dante Moncrief is a threat to Andre Johnson this year. Because the wide receiver position, again, unlike the running back position, is predicated on a marriage of both athleticism and nuance, much more than the running back position. This is why rookie running backs literally hit the ground running when they enter the league. A number of rookie running backs are starters on day one, and it's just decided in training camp very quickly. But many wide receivers take a year or two to develop, sometimes three or four years to develop. And I love Dante Moncrief. You know I love Dante Moncrief. We've had Dante Moncrief breakout parties where I was playing club music and people turned the show off because they were so annoyed, found me obnoxious, and never listened to the show again after the Dante Moncrief party. So I love Dante Moncrief. I have Dante Moncrief fantasy analyst street cred. You know I do. But I don't think Dante Moncrief is ready to play flanker in the NFL in two receiver sets as a sophomore. I think he will be. He will eventually grow into that role. I think that he's a perfect fit for the for the flanker role at the NFL level at 6'2", 220 pounds with explosiveness. Absolutely, I think he can be a, a, a great flanker in this league eventually, but not this year. Maybe in year three, we'll see. This year, I imagine Dante Moncrief in a stretch X role, playing the X receiver, the, the, the wide receiver in three receiver sets, running a lot of deep routes. I was excited for him to play that role until the Colts drafted Philip Dorsett by Ryan Grigson, has a stretch X already in place who's 21 years old, and what does he do? He drafts another Stretch X, who's also 21 years old, with his first-round pick. That's what Ryan Grigson chose to use draft capital on. Of all players, a player who physically 
looks like T.Y. Hilton and who would play the role of Dante Moncrief. That sounds like a guy we need, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ryan Grigson. Honestly. He's the anti-Rick Spielman. Rick Spielman is it, it, almost infallible. I know the Corderell Patterson draft pick happened, so there there is a mark on there is a black mark on his resume. However, more often than not, Rick Spielman makes the right decision. Brings in the right players, drafts the right players. More often than not, Ryan Grigson, the opposite. More often than not, he will bring in the wrong players and draft the wrong players. However, I think he did make a good decision bringing in Andre Johnson. Because the wide receiver age curve goes out three more years than the running back age curve. There is still a season or two left for Andre Johnson to be fantasy relevant. But if you look at the running back age curve, there doesn't seem to be any space, any opportunity historically for a player in the Frank Gore archetype to be fantasy relevant. It's the, it's, the, it's the primary problem I have with Frank Gore. It's the similar argument. Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson are running in parallel because the arguments for them are often very similar. And the concerns I have about the two players are similar. That you have to... It requires a suspension of disbelief and a willful ignorance of history to draft these players at their current ADPs. Adrian Peterson, early first round, ridiculous. Frank Gore, early third round, ridiculous. Now, some of you have been looking for the show on iTunes, the last show. I keep talking about the show I did yet last week, and then we did a show this last Monday on this topic. Last Monday was essentially all about Frank Gore and why I think... He's at risk of not only uh, having a, a truly inefficient season and losing touches to Dan Heron and Josh Robinson, but also why I think that he's more prone to injury than the average running back. And you went out, and I, you might have seen me talk about this on Twitter. Look for the show on iTunes, and it's not there. Look for the show on Blog Talk Radio, and it's not there. Well, here's how you find it. Monday's show that we did on Frank Gore is only available on SoundCloud. So you go to SoundCloud.com, type in Roto Underworld Radio, you'll find the show. Also, on iTunes or on Stitcher, you can go search for a show, search for Roto Underworld Radio, and you'll see two versions. An underground sound version and a stereo sound version. The stereo sound version has... Monday's show, the underground sound version, does not. Monday's show was a stereo sound hi-fi exclusive. At least that's how I pitched it. But why didn't we have Monday's show on Blog Talk Radio? Well, uh, there's a bit of a story there. There's a bit of a story. So, I'm having a conversation on Friday with the gentleman from Blog Talk Radio. And he's... He's head of programming at Blog Talk. And we're talking about getting my show, Roto Underworld Radio, on their fantasy sports lineup. So they can start promoting our show 
and we can be if you play in a, in a if you subscribe and play the shows that are in the fantasy sports category our show will will be part of that constant loop and I was excited talking to him I was like this is going to be great we're going to get more exposure this guy what a jerk what a jerk he asked me how do you do your show I was like well I dial in you know the phone the phone number that blog talk provides and I do my show over the phone and he immediately starts belittling the whole process and I'm like this is how blog talk is set up this is what blog talk radio is blog talk radio was founded by a guy in the hospital who wanted to do a podcast and had no equipment to do it other than a phone so he created a software or had a software created so that he could phone in a show that was the origins of blog talk radio and that's how i do my show in keeping with the origins of the platform and the head of programming says oh well you need to get off the phone He goes on, he says, if I hear phone quality when I start listening to a show, I shut it off immediately. And if you're going to join our lineup, our fantasy sports lineup, well, you need to bring your A game. And I'm sitting on the other end of the line hearing him belittle my show, belittle me, belittle my entire process of podcasting. and My mouth is agape. Are you talking to me like this? I'm the talent. Who do you think you're talking to? It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, but at the same time, I didn't have a, a, a response. It's like, this guy's the head of programming. What do I say to this? I must be doing something wrong. Even though I'm using the method that's posted in the studio, when you go to build a a podcast on blog talk radio I'm using that method and the method I'm using is wrong but it wasn't just what he was saying he was saying it in this matter-of-fact condescending tone and I just I was in shock I hung up and I go I, I guess I wow I, I guess I I guess I need to change how I record the show this was on Friday so on Monday he sent me an email about how to use Direct Connect, where I plug in a head, headset and I connect directly using a, sort of an internal Skype mechanism that Blog Talk had created or had commissioned. So I activate the Direct Connect and I try to follow the instructions so that the head of programming won't listen to my podcast and then immediately turn it off after five seconds. Which, by the way, was insulting because what about the thousands of individuals who every day or at least three times a week turn on this podcast with this particular sound quality if you're listening to it on the underground sound and today we're broadcasting on the underground sound again because screw him what about those thousands of listeners are, are they idiots are, are they not refined enough with their their, their tastes in sound quality for you? Is that, is that what I'm hearing? So again, I try this direct connect method. It fails after three minutes. 
I'm doing the show, and it's like it never happened. Meanwhile, I have this other headset on, this backup show that I'm taping locally, so I can post it, upload it to SoundCloud. So that's what happened. The new technology, the cool new hip technology that the program director wanted me to use, failed. The old school phone line that always works and has never failed me is working now, and that's what you're listening to me on. Probably, because most people like the underground sound. The numbers on the underground sound are so much higher than the numbers on the stereo sound, the hi-fi. But I actually, I think, even though he belittled me, even though he disrespected the audience, I still think good sound quality is a goal worth achieving. And I think you should all go and, and look for the Roto Underworld podcast hi-fi stereo quality version on your Stitcher, on your iTunes, and check it out and then make a decision of which of the two sound qualities you prefer. But don't do it because I said it. Don't do it because the head of programming at Blog Talk Radio thinks that the underground sound is beneath him. Get out of here with that. I woke up this morning and I had an epiphany. I was like, I'm going back to the underground sound. Who did that guy think he is? People like this sound quality? They People like this medium to listen to me as if I'm coming broadcasting from a bunker? That's what we're going to give them. It's a marketplace. We have both versions out there. People can choose. Now, more buzzardry. Buzzard writes in, injury predictor only looks at recent injury history to determine its probabilities. So you were praising a guy, Jake Davidow, while disagreeing with his whole approach. Hashtag hypocrite. Again, we get another hashtag in an email. Doesn't make sense. You can't see what's trending on emails, anybody. Hope you know that. Hashtag hypocrite. Thank you. On the last show, which again, most of you didn't listen to because the, the medium through which I was to broadcast my voice that was recommended to me by the head of programming at Blog Talk Radio failed. In the last show, I mentioned that David Al, the head of Injury Predictor, the founder of Injury Predictor, he could do a better job with both his product and his marketing. And in that show, I was lamenting the character smearing of a fellow builder, of a fellow website builder. That is going to always bother me. Now, in the last show, I also talked about how Ryan Matthews and DeMarco Murray have similar injury proneness. I used them synonymously, and that was a mistake. I misspoke. I never meant to say that DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews have similar injury proneness. Ryan Matthews is absolutely more prone to injury than both DeMarco Murray and Frank Gore. I know that. But if you go to Injury Predictor, the probability, according to Injury Predictor, of Frank Gore being injured is 6%. The probability of Ryan Matthews being injured, 48%. And that is not as accurate as it could be. I am not taking those probabilities to heart. Now, Ryan Matthews, I am. 50% chance Ryan Matthews will miss a game this year. I'm on board with that, with that probability. 
I think it's valid and I think it's useful when I'm evaluating Ryan Matthews and I will use that data when I'm evaluating Ryan Matthews. Will I use Frank Gore's 6% likelihood according to Injury Predictor of missing a game? No, I won't. The reason Ryan Matthews according to Injury Predictor is more susceptible to injury than Frank Gore is because Jake Davidow found strong evidence correlating a player's recent injury history with injury recurrence. And that's true. And that's why I, I'm, I'm on board with the Ryan Matthews 48% chance of being injured. And one of the big reasons why is that when players come back from injury, oftentimes coaches and training staff bring these players back before they're fully healed. And sometimes the player thinks he's fully healed, even though he's not. You see this happening all the time. You you go to WebMD and you see the recovery time for an injury and it says 18 months. Then the player comes back after 9 months and you're scratching your head going, how is that safe? Well, it's not safe. This is why I still believe that Le'Veon Bell is at a greater risk of injury this year because of the knee injury that he sustained at the end of last season. The training staff, thumbs up. Le'Veon Bell, I'm ready to go. Me, uh, not sure. Because we see it over and over and over again. These guys are pushed back into action, and then the injury recurs. We saw it last year with Odo Beckham Jr. We saw it the year before with Rob Gronkowski. Rob Gronkowski was an interesting, interesting case because there's a fallacy that when a bone is broken, it heals back stronger. That's, that's a misconception. That's wrong. Bones do not heal stronger. When the recalcification process happens, there is a very short period of time during the healing process when the breakpoint is relatively stronger than the surrounding breakpoints. But once the injury fully heals, there is no point in the breakpoint, the healing point, where there's any more or less strength in the bone. So that's a fallacy I can dismiss, debunk right away. There's this show. That's what we do on this show. We debunk fallacies. No, broken bones do not are not stronger after the healing process is over. That's 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 inaccurate. But I also believe with Frank Gore in particular, injury predictor is falling into a correlation trap. Because in the case of Ryan Matthews, there's a lot of data on running backs. Running backs of his age and running backs with his injury history. There's a what I would call a strong archetype that Ryan Matthews can be fit into. Frank Gore, on the other hand, has almost no parallel. Like Adrian Peterson, there very little, very few examples of a player of that age with that BMI, with that injury history. Like with Adrian Peterson, for example, you not only have to factor in age and injury history, but you also have to factor in that he missed a full season. And if you're looking for an archetype for Adrian Peterson, an archetype where he came back, where the player came back and was at the same or, or, or greater level of productivity after returning from a year off, there's only one example in the history of football, and that's John Riggins. So to believe that Adrian Peterson will be an RB1 in fantasy this year 
is to bet on Adrian Peterson fitting into a singular player archetype of John Riggins. That is a weak archetype. Again, the 26-year-old running back that had a high ankle sprain one year and a sprained knee the next year. That's a strong archetype. You have a lot of examples, a big sample size to draw conclusions from when you're analyzing the probability of a Ryan Matthews injury recurrence. When you're looking at Adrian Peterson and forecasting Adrian Peterson, there's a very weak archetype there. The examples of players with similar profiles in similar situations is essentially non-existent. And even if you if, even if you just pick two factors, age and missed a season last year and improved, you get one guy, John Riggins. Good luck with that. Good luck betting on Adrian Peterson being the next John Riggins. And that's a similar problem we'd have with Frank Gore. He has no similar archetype in the NFL that has his injury history, or lack thereof. I mean, good luck. Go through the annals of history, the logs of running backs in history. Finding the running back that hasn't missed a game in three years. That's age 32. That has an upper 90th percentile BMI. You won't find it. He's a -a one-of-a-kind situation at this moment in time. He's a unique player that at his current age and given his history is a completely unique situation. Therefore, when you are forecasting based on past events and fitting him into an archetype, you're fitting him into a very weak archetype. So to build a model, a predictive model, based on recent injury history, when you're calculating the probability of Frank Gore missing a game this year, you're going to run into an overfitting problem. The overfitting problem happens often when you have a weak archetype. When you're looking at a player that has very few peers, if any, who is living in a once in a lifetime situation. And it's pretty obvious that with some players on Injury Predictor, they've been overfit.